This is Real Estate Rookie episode 157. These are people, these are their lives, these are their homes. So be proactive in communication when things are going wrong and you're fixing things, let them know and let them know what's going on. They want to hear from you. You might not think it, but they are going to appreciate more communication than less communication. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am joined by Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every single week, two times a week, we give you the interviews, the stories, and just the real life happenings of real estate investors, making it happen, doing their thing so you can get started as a real estate investor. Yes, we love all of our rookies. And every single week, we love having different guests on the show. And today... We have another awesome guest for you guys, Adam. Tony, tell us a little bit about Adam. Adam's got a really cool backstory. He's uh, got a military background, parlayed that into a career in in property management, and he's uh, done a lot of live-in flips and house hacking. So we get kind of like a wide range of information from Adam but he he really breaks down at one point in the interview his four keys to successful property management. So make sure you guys are listening for that throughout the episode. Yeah, this is a really great episode, whether you're going to self-manage or you're going to hire a property manager. And listen to the end because we have a new segment for you guys, the rookie exam. And you can find out if Adam passed the exam or not. (laughs) (laughs) Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent. T-O, retirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. If you're in the landlord game, you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. So say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. Now, if you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for just $1. You can't beat that. So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. So let's bring Adam onto the show. Adam, welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, brother. Super excited to have you here, man. Why don't we dig into your story, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and how you got started in real estate investing. Yeah, thanks so much. It's an honor and very humbling to be here. Very excited, very thankful for what Bigger Pockets is. So yeah, I would say I graduated college 
did ROTC, was in the Army, was stationed down in Fort Riley, Kansas, and had the benefit of actually being with a couple of my ROTC classmates. And one of those guys was an investor. His dad owned a bunch of rental units up where we went to school in Wisconsin. And he started buying property down in Manhattan. And I saw it and I was like, what are you doing with this stuff, man? He's like, oh, yeah, I've got some, you know, I got some duplexes and stuff. And I was like, and stuff. And he's like, yeah, man, you should just go buy a duplex down by Manhattan, down by K-State, rent it out to students and live in one side. I was like, okay. So then I kind of did this deep dive, found bigger pockets, learned about it. We didn't find anything that cash flowed, but what we did find was a live and flip. So that was our gateway drug into real estate, did the live and flip, made a solid profit on the house hack. And I got that idea from Mindy Jensen because she said she did it. So we made a profit there. When we sold that, we moved back up to Minnesota where my wife's family was. Took those profits, bought a triplex, did the whole house hacking thing, lived in that for a year, did that again on a duplex in the same neighborhood. And that's where we are today with those two properties. And then we have a burr under contracts as of yesterday. So that's where we're at in our investor holdings. That's awesome. Congratulations. So what was the kind of the time frame from that when you started learning, researching to today? I think we probably researched about a year, maybe less, and then just started, found an agent, started touring properties. And my dad was pretty handy. So I was like, well, this is a good way to learn. Like, I love the live and flip for first time investors because you get to learn like how to fix a property, how it works, how HVAC works, how plumbing works, how to install stuff, how to paint faucets, fix a drip. Yeah. Let's go through a live and flip real quick. So when you're looking for a live and flip. What kind of property should a rookie be looking for? How long should they live there? What are some different kinds of tips and advice you can get for someone who wants to start out house hacking? And Adam, can you also add like what exactly is a live and flip? Like how is that different from, you know, a regular flip? A live and flip is where you're living in a property that needs some sort of renovation to force appreciation. So it's a form of house hacking because in the end, you're going to realize your gain when you sell it. So we were looking for something that we could force appreciation and bring to market, something that was under the market value in the neighborhood. So in our circumstance, this is Kansas pricing in 2017. So keep this in mind. It was, we bought it for like 138. It was a 3-2 ranch rambler, no basement, one car garage, like 1500 square feet. So It basically looked like the 80s. There was three layers of carpeting. The guy had lived there 20 years. Like It was very much mechanicals were fine. The roof was fine. The siding was fine. It was very much like lipstick type of things, like easy to learn, easy to YouTube, easy to DIY. So we did that. And then the optimal holding period is two years. You can recycle your money. And it's two years because then you're not going to pay any gains on the gains that you earn. So if you sell it early the IRS is going to treat it like you're flipping it and they'll tax you on your capital gains. If you sell it after those two years, then you don't get taxed. So that's the optimal timeline. That is such a huge advantage, especially if you're in a high cost of living area and you're making a huge profit because houses are half a million to $2 million. I have a friend that has done that and he has made like half a million dollars on a house tax free because it was his primary residence, held it for two years, fixed it up, added a ton of value to it, and then sold it for such a large profit. So doing that, that's a great example. And I'm glad you brought that up is the tax advantage too of holding it those two years and not paying any other taxes. I mean, where else can you go and make a large sum of money, even if it's 50,000, a hundred thousand and not pay taxes on it? Legally. (laughs) That's a good caveat. Legally. I like that part. There's probably a lot of ways you can make a ton of money and not pay taxes. (laughs) Adam, so before we keep going, brother, can you just give us an an overview of where your portfolio is at today? So we know you got this first live and flip back in 2017, but what's the portfolio look like today? Yep. We sold that one. So today we have five units that we own, a triplex, a duplex, and then we're under contract on a burr with Fannie Mae. So that'll be really interesting. 
Gotcha. Okay. So you get this first live-in flip and you, you kind of get the bug. So that's back in 2017. Kind of walk us through how you start to progress and, and build your portfolio from there. Yeah, we lived there for 13 months. So we weren't able to realize the full two years of benefits, but sold that. Let, let, me, let me ask Adam. So you sold after 13 months. Did you have any thoughts on maybe waiting for that full 24 months, that four two-year period? Or what kind of pushed you into selling at, at 13 months? I was like, we're going to move to Minnesota. It wouldn't have profited. If I rented it out, the numbers wouldn't have made any sense. So it was just a math problem, really. It was like, well, I could have a tenant in here, but do I want a problem eight hours away when I'm trying to start a new life, get a new job? My wife's trying to get a new job. We're going to live at home with our parents. Like, no, I already realized like by the numbers, I'm going to make like $36,000. Like this isn't worth my time. So I sold it. And two, you still wouldn't have gotten the benefit of the tax-free gain because you have to live there for two out of the last five years. So if you had a tenant in there, you eventually would have had to come back and finish out those full two years eventually. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So you then decide to move. Are you house hacking now one of the properties that you have, or you just have a separate primary residence that's not included in your portfolio now? Yep. So we house hacked the first triplex Founded on market, lived there for a year, bought that one in my wife's name with 5% down, conventional loan, satisfied the 12-month rule, we're super aggressive in our savings. And then we bought a duplex in the same neighborhood, and that's what we're living in now. And we're on the end of our 12-month timeline, so I've got the itch. I've got the buying itch out there. We're shopping and seeing what we can find. So yeah, that's it for today, and that's where we're going. Okay. So let's talk about the financing of all these properties. So the first one you did 5% down in your wife's name. So did you do an FHA loan or was it conventional loan with 5%? Yeah, I did a 5% conventional loan in my wife's name on the triplex and a 5% loan in my name on the duplex. And I, I'm a realtor with KW now, and I've recommended that to all our clients because those 5% loans, they come and go. Sometimes they're offered, sometimes they're not offered. The FHA is always going to be there. If you can afford the 5% loan, it's a superior loan to the FHA. So jump in there, get it while it's there. And there's certain requirements for it, but if you meet those requirements, definitely go for it. Can you elaborate, Adam, on why you feel the 5% conventional loan is better than an FHA? Because an FHA, you can go down at 3.5%. So what, in your experience, has made the conventional better option? Because it's another low down payment option loan that may or may not always be there. We know, albeit the government doing something weird, the 3.5% FHA loan is always going to be there most likely, right? But the 5% doesn't. So if you can grab it while it's available, go get it. And if you can afford the 5%, do it. And then the PMI automatically drops off. Whereas FHA, you're going to have to refi at some point in period of time. Once you hit the 22% in equity, then you're going to have to do a refi to get out of that and recycle it. So unless you force appreciation or do a 203k loan, you're going to have to wait probably a decade, eight years for that PMI to fall off. Gotcha. Okay. Good point. And you know, the PMI is is something that a lot of investors I think get caught up on as well. But I think that also comes down to a mathematical equation as well. It's like, if you have to go from three and a half percent to 10% or 20% down to get rid of that PMI, maybe it doesn't make sense. But like you said, if you're going from three and a half to 5%, maybe that makes a little bit more sense to get rid of that PMI on a monthly basis. Yeah. And in a competitive market, like now, if I can tell the buyer's agent, Hey, I got pre-qualified conventional buyers, and I just say, oh, it's 5%, they're not going to care, where it sounds a lot better. Oh, yeah, because the buyer, the seller is going to be like, okay, they're FHA, they're probably not as well qualified, and they'll defer to picking the conventional loan over the FHA loan usually. Adam, what about the property management on these properties? Are you guys self-managing? Do you have a property manager? Yeah, we self-manage. I enjoy the property management, and I had that as a career for two years. When I left active duty, that's that was my career. I jumped into commercial property management, and that's where I learned the nuts and bolts about how to operate a property, how these large-scale commercial properties operate. And so it was just a great you know, learning atmosphere to jump into real estate on the side as we were building our own portfolio to really understand, like, this is a business in and of itself. A lot of times people get so excited about, oh, I need this much cash flow. I need this much door to set myself free for getting out of this job. And then they get the property under contract, they buy it, they close. And then all of a sudden, like 
oh, they got to get a tenant. There's a tenant issue. They got to collect rent. How does the money flow from the tenant to your bank account to the mortgage? How does insurance work? How does renter's insurance work? You have all these things that all of a sudden come up to you that you forgot like about when you're trying to get focused on, I need this much cash flow per month. Now you have all these little problems to deal with. So in my mind, it's just best to treat it like a business. And there's really four keys to property management that we can kind of dive into. Yeah, let's, let's dive in. I yeah, love to hear this. Yeah, let's go into it. Yeah. So number one, just treat it like a business. And that just means processes, processes, processes. Businesses today aren't successful if they're just running their stuff from the phone. So I'm going to run through an example of an easy process just for you know marketing your property, because that's arguably probably the most important step of the process or of property management. If you can have a good tenant... That'll, you know, and it's, they're easy to work with. And that's probably going to streamline a lot of issues down the road. Adam, real quick, before you go into that example, can you just explain real quick why it's important to treat it as a business, even though you own the property in your personal name and don't have an LLC or a business entity even set up? Chances are you're going to buy more than one property. I haven't heard of a lot of investors who stop at one or two. So you could end up with one, two, three, 500, or in Brandon Turner's case, millions of units and stuff, right? So eventually it's just going to make sense to bring management in-house. I know a lot of investors and clients who have 20 units and for them to, you know, it's kind of one of those things, well, I can manage 20 by myself or I can hire it out to a property manager. And at that rate, it's like, is it really worth it? Or can I handle the five to 10%, whatever your area pays in property management, So it's best just to start right away when you have one unit, practice, 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 and then it'll streamline yourself in those processes over time when you have 10, 20, maybe 50 units. And then you can kind of consider either should I build this as a company or should I hire it out? And then you have better expertise when you do want to hire it out or you do want to hire somebody to take that over for you. Then you have the expertise and you can ask better questions, in my opinion. What is number two on that list? Yeah. So treat it like a business, have processes. Number two, the lease is your guiding principle. So know that the lease should cover most issues. So a tenant's moving out early. I just had this happen to me and she said, Hey, Adam, we ended up buying a house. I was bummed because she didn't work with me, but we bought a house down the road. I didn't think this was going to happen. I'm going to end my lease. And I was like, okay, I stalled. One of my taps says, Hey, I'll get back to you on that. Let me, let me check with some things and let's chat about that. Went back, looked at the lease. Sure enough, the lease said, if the tenant vacates early, they have a two month fee. If they want to get out, landlord has a duty to relet, but not They don't have to, but they should basically as Minnesota law. So I told her that, hey, I'm going to put this up for rent. I'm going to put up on Zillow, apartments.com, Facebook, and we'll put it up for rent. We don't have a duty. When it does come time for when we find somebody, then we'll end your lease. And that's how it works. So we just abide by the lease and that's your governing principle, right? Same thing with pets. That should be covered in there. What the tenant takes care of, what the landlord takes care of. So like... A light bulb, that should probably be explained. You don't want to be getting calls from your tenant. Hey, my light bulb's out. Well, hey, man, that's in the lease. Just reference the lease, you know, be professional, be curious. Hey, that's your job. You don't want to have to keep running over there for these little things. Third point, everything is negotiable. And that's kind of in real estate in general. I think you'll find when you put your properties out on the market on Zillow, on Facebook, you'll get a lot of requests and people will be interested and they'll send you stuff like, hey, can I do this? Can I do that? And it basically comes down to make sure it fits within your numbers if you're going to give something for them. So if they're going to say, hey, can I have three dogs? And you're and they're like big dogs and you think they might tear up your house. You're like, sure, you can have three dogs, but it's going to cost you X and fees. Or an easy one here in Minnesota where we live is snow. Usually the landlord handles that, but a lot of people will give a monthly discount. So you say, hey, the rent is $1,500, but we're going to give you a $50 per month discount to take care of snow and lawn. That's negotiable. Some tenants, I'll offer that too, because it's easier if the tenants take care of it for me instead of me having to hire it out. And usually it's actually cheaper than me finding a, a snow company. So I'll just offer and be like, hey, do you have any interest in taking care of the snow and lawn? Like there's a lawnmower in the garage, there's a shovel, or I'll happily buy you a snowblower too. And then lastly, be proactive in communication and remember that those tenants are paying your mortgage. And one book that's really cool, I can't remember the title, but it's about raving fans. And you want those tenants, those customers, those customers, you want to treat them with respect. And I think that gets lost a lot of the time. And 
the company that I worked for really took pride in this of being a boutique management firm of really just exemplarily service. Like these are your tenants. There should be a respect. They should be a firm boundary between respectful, nice, abiding by the lease, but at the same time being respectful of their property and what they need. This is your house. You're providing housing. If you don't want to be respectful and be a slumlord, then you probably shouldn't be in property management or owning rentals. Like these are people, these are their lives, these are their homes. So be proactive in communication when things are going wrong and you're fixing things, let them know what's going on and let them know what's going on. They want to hear from you. You might not think it, but they are going to appreciate more communication than less communication. And those are my four steps. At that last one, that was a, that's great advice. There's the communication, because I've noticed sometimes with different property management companies that if they can't like fix the issue, as long as you are right away or in a timely manner, they at least, if they stay in communication with that tenant and continuously update them. And even Tony, I'm sure this is probably true with short-term rentals too, is just staying in contact with the person and communicating to them, letting them know where the progress is at, what's happening. So that's great advice there. And then with the leases too, Bigger Pockets, if you are a pro member, you can go to biggerpockets.com and you actually get access to leases that are provided to you guys by attorneys in your state. So if you're a pro member, you guys can check that out and then go through and add things that are specific to your property. So if you are going to allow pets, put a clause in there about exactly what the fees are, if there are any additional fees, what the rules are, cleaning up after your dog outside, things like that. Just try and think of any scenario of what could happen and put that into the lease. I don't think that there's really a lease that may have too much information. Uh, what do you think, Adam? Is that a kind of a, is there such a thing as having too long of a lease? When I was working in the property management field, I worked alongside like the multifamily people and the multifamily property managers, and they used a lease from, I believe, NAA, National Association of Apartments, maybe. And it's like a 30-page document because it's got all this legal stuff in there for these big companies. So if most tenants are going through these big apartment complexes and seeing that, and you only have like maybe a 13-page lease highlight the important things, make sure they sign and, and underwrite and acknowledge and initial the important things and you should be okay. But no, I don't think there's a limit, but they'll see it. They'll sign it. They'll go through it. They'll ask questions if they're like, I have to pick up all my poop for my dog. Yes, <laughs> please. So Adam, a lot of our listeners are obviously newer real estate investors. And when they think about managing a property on their own, it's just too much. It's overwhelming. The idea of doing that isn't in their wheelhouse yet. So a lot of them will look to property management companies to handle that part of the business for them. So say that I'm a rookie investor, Adam, what should I be looking for in a property manager to ensure I have a smooth and successful relationship with that person? You're going to want to know how they're going to be paid. So be upfront about that and what fees they're going to charge. Because if you're underwriting and doing your analysis of the property and maybe you're allocating at 8 or 5% and they come in at 10%, well, that could hurt your cash flow. Or if they're charging unnecessary fees, like if they're charging a fee for every time they're coming out to the property, well, isn't that kind of your job to be the property management? That might be a red flag for me. Leasing fees are pretty common. If your tenant falls, a lease changeover, they get half of first month rent. So know what their fee structure is. That would be my first question. What's their response plan? So if there's a fire, if there's carbon monoxide going off, what's their response plan looks like? What kind of maintenance is included in the fee? A lot of times they might include like filter changes. They might include city ordinance fees, where if the city is charging you a fee for having rental property, they might include that or they might include the inspection. Yeah, I think those would be my first questions. Now, what about actually finding a good property management company? Like, like how did your company find new tenant or new owners to kind of bring into their portfolio of properties? We probably weren't the best example because we were dealing with large REITs and corporations and insurance companies, but networking I'm in a lot of local landlord groups. And when somebody comes in there and asks, you'll see a slew of the same people. So I'd go and join a Facebook group or join Bigger Pockets and go in your area, put up a blog post and be, hey, who are the property managers that you've seen? And I'm, I guarantee there's property managers on Bigger Pockets. Those would be who I would, I would want to partner with because they probably have more of the investor mindset too of like, 
oh, if this guy's trying to do this for cash flow, how can we work together and more of have that partnership mindset instead of that, I'm working for you for a service fee-based mindset. One thing I would add to that too is make sure that when you have those conversations with the property manager, when you are interviewing them, that you take notes of what they're saying yes to or no to and what their responses are. And then when you have your property management agreement, that those things are in there, such as what is the timeline for a turnover? That, you know, what is that process? Like ask a lot about their processes and systems too. Like what happens when somebody calls for maintenance? Is the live person answering? Do they have to go online? And how quickly is maintenance taken care of? Because those were things that I didn't know to ask in the beginning. And those were things that I didn't get into writing. And now it's like, looking back like, Hey, I don't think we were supposed to be charged that fee when we had our initial conversation, but you know, that's two years ago now. (laughs) Yeah. Getting it in writing, I think is super key because then you can reference it. Like you're saying, Oh, you're charging me a 10% add on fee for this HVAC company to come on. I don't see that. Can we talk about that? Yeah. That's a great point. Get it in writing. So kind of just going along with the property management piece, because I know that's again, something that a lot of rookies will need to figure out. What kind of interactions should a rookie expect between them and their property management company? Like, are you guys talking daily, weekly, quarterly, annually? What kind of cadence is there between an owner and a property manager? You can totally set that up front and tell them, hey, I don't want to be bothered. Like, give them guidelines. Hey, that actually, that reminds me of the military. My company commander when we would go to our long training things in JRTC in the desert and down in Louisville in the swamps, if crap hit the fan, these were the criteria where he would want to know if I'm sleeping or I'm out of commission, like wake me up. If X, Y, and Z happen, I want to know. So kind of set those guidelines with your property manager and be like, Hey, the property's on fire. I want to know if a tenant leaves a lease early, I want to know. If I have a big capital expense over X dollars, I want to know. So if like the faucet breaks, great. Replace the faucet. Just make sure it looks modern and fits this decor. If it's something over $200, just let me know and let's talk about it. But generally, I think you're going to at least want to know monthly. They should be at least sending you a report on how much you're making that month in profit. And then you should be getting at least an annual report too for your taxes. Everything aside from that is basically negotiable on what your comfort level is. And I would start in the beginning. I would say more communication is better. And then it can kind of taper from there as you develop rapport and trust. Yeah, that's a great point. And just going through those owner's reports that you get every month too, is going through and looking at what you're being charged for, what kind of repairs were done to the property And then seeing who has paid rent or not. My property management company, they'll send me an email, a separate email with a list of people who didn't pay in full or didn't pay at all. And they'll add some notes as to we've sent a message to this tenant or we sent them a notice to pay or we'll start the eviction process, things like that too. But I totally agree on setting that expectation up front as to how much you want to be involved in what that communication is. One thing I would point out that I didn't do was I was flooded with emails from the property management company. And if I would have set up from one thing, I probably would have eliminated half of them. If it's in the lease, go with what the lease says. I'm not going to go against the lease. So one example was a a tenant wanted to, or he had a dog and, but it wasn't living with him. It was living with his girlfriend or something and they wanted to bring it. And he cried to the property manager that the dog would have to go to the pound or the SPCA or something if I did not allow the dog. And the property manager came to me and said, would you allow the dog in this situation? And I said, no, I that the lease states no dogs. And it wasn't my problem. It was the lease was the bad guy. And the, the property manager should have just went to the lease and told the tenant, the lease says, I'm sorry, no dogs and kind of left me out of it. Yeah. I like that too, because I think like as an owner manager, you're going to develop relationships with these tenants. And when they come to you with a hard situation that you can always blame it on the lease, but at the end of the day, they're going to know you're the owner property manager making the decision. So you just have to be able to live with that decision at night. But the property manager, you can just be like what Ashley said, be hard. No, I'm not. No, 
No, tell them no. And then it comes from the property manager, not from you. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want people to think that I like want dogs under the phone, but I mean, this, there are other people that this tenant put himself in that own situation. I guess he knew the lease when he signed it, but yeah, I just, I think you pay a property manager to enforce the lease. And so make sure that your property manager is doing that and you don't have to, especially when you have a lot of properties that are maybe in small towns or the towns that you live in, you don't want people to think that you as the landlord, the owner of the property are the bad guy too, I think that, you know, you want to keep a, a good reputation in the town and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I also think that being a, a property manager can be a, a thankless job at times. So I'm, I'm definitely not envious, Adam, of, of the work you've had to do because you, you have the owners that think that you're not doing a good enough job. Then you have the tenants that think that you're doing too good of a job and making their life difficult. So it's, it's definitely a difficult balance to strike there. That is just like, I 100% oh agree God. with that from being a property manager to going to outsourcing it. Yeah. <laughs> it is. That's one of the, that was one of the reasons why I left because or stopped doing property management because I came from the military where you're in uniform in the airport. Literally like everybody says, thank you for your service, which is super nice. You go to being a property manager. Nobody <laughs> says, Hey Adam, thanks for cleaning up the poop in the bathroom on the floor. We really appreciate that. Like that doesn't happen. Like they just expect you to take care of things. Yeah, we, we've like toyed around with the idea of starting like a short-term rental property management company because we feel that there are a lot of companies out there that just aren't doing a good job that are overcharging. But just the idea of being in that seat, I think, gives me anxiety. And I've already lost all my hair. So I don't know if I have any, like, I, I got to keep at least a beard. You know, I can't lose that too. So. My partner and I went through this decision-making model as well on, you know, like we're realtors, we specialize in the investment property, two to 30 unit sales. And a lot of times we get a lot of people that are like, Hey, do you manage properties? And the amount of business that we've thrown away, I mean, we're probably at at least 50 to 75 units where we're like, Nope, we're not property managers. We strictly handle the sales. And it's kind of in the back of your head, like, should I be doing that? And then at the end of the day, we're like, I think let's just niche down and specialize in what we're doing instead of taking on too much. Yeah. You're responsible to a lot of people as a property manager, and it becomes very different than managing your own properties too. It was funny. If you guys aren't watching on YouTube, Adam uh, was like sighing and ripping his hair out when Tony was talking about possibly (laughs) starting up his own (laughs) short-term rental management company. And I could feel Adam's pain. (laughs) Well, there's a story there because when I, it's a true story, I literally walked in, I managed this in St. Paul in like a good area and the building had 91 apartment units and 20 commercial doors. One morning I walk in there, I'm doing my round and literally like we, all the bathrooms are back up here. All the bathrooms are locked and coded because we didn't want random people coming. We would get people coming into the building to like take a nap in the bathroom but take the nap like all night homeless. And so we needed to stop that because it was like a class A building. And I come in, I'm doing my rounds and I literally walk downstairs to the bathroom and there's literally just a soiled wall, poop. Like, I don't even know where they got the paper from. Just like not great at all situation going on. Like somebody clearly had to go to the bathroom and unfortunately they're locked. So they just did it right there. And nobody knows about that. That's a tenant, but they would have known about it if they walk in. But you know, that's, the thankless things that property managers do, you're not really going to know about because they're doing their job. So I think the only way I would break into that space is if I had like a really solid integrator to really run that entire business for me. And I could just kind of be like the guy that understands the short-term rental space, but doesn't have to deal with any of the, like the day-to-day management. So you guys heard it here first. Tony's hiring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. If you're that person, reach out to me. We'll build something big together. But that's real, though, because I think Cody Sanchez talks about boring businesses like property management is very much a boring business. It is strictly process baked. It is repeatable. Once you do something, you can continue to do it and teach that to somebody else. So, you know, in Tony's case, he can maybe have 20 short term rentals and he's got all the processes outlined and now he can hire it out. And hey, here's the processes. Take over. I'm going to keep adding units on to this. And that's where it can become a real business. If you move yourself from the day to day, 
that was kind of our vision in the back of our head. It was like, all right, maybe we have to suck it up on get up to 75 units under management. Then we can hire somebody to handle the majority of the work and we can concentrate on sales and sales of the property management business. But it's a really solid business to go. Nothing's going to disrupt it. So there is an opportunity there for the right people. Rookies, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. Nope, they've now rolled out proof of income verification. So let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets, but if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. How great of a deal is that? So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, Adam, I want to talk a little bit more, go in depth on on one of your deals here. So we want to do our, our rookie deal review. Do you have a specific property in mind that we can talk about? I do. All right. Awesome, brother. So we're going to start just kind of like some rapid fire questions to set the table for the listeners and we'll, we'll get into the, the nitty gritty. So what markets is this specific property in? It was in St. Paul, Minneapolis. Gotcha. All right. And then what was the property type? It was a triplex. And what did you purchase this property for? Shortcut here, we didn't purchase it, but we were under contract for 640 with some seller concessions. Interesting. Okay. This might be the first rookie review where it was like a deal gone bad. So that'll be that'll be interesting. <laughs> All right. It was a and sorry, just going back to the property type, you said it was a triplex. Is it what was each unit? Do you recall? Like two ones, one ones? Yeah, it was three two ones stacked on top of each other, separately metered, a like nineteen ten ish triplex, like an illegal one, coded, like purposely built triplex, right? And like a good property, not this hodgepodge thing. Okay. And then well, I guess let's get into it, right? Because this one's a, a little bit different. So I guess give us the the backstory on how you found this property and what kind of led to you not actually closing on it. Yeah, I'm searching for a triplex for my wife and I to own or occupy. We have a nine month old, so we have pretty good criteria. We're looking for a place where, you know, we can have three bedrooms, an extra bathroom would be nice, but good size. So I basically am, if they're not on the MLS, because these properties don't come on the MLS very often, we have a 
specific area we're looking for for my wife's commute to her work and then where my son's daycare is. So we've got the area down. We know what size we need. It doesn't matter what the finishes look like because I'll fix it. And it obviously needs to make money once we move out. So I've been doing a bit of, in my business, to do plenty of lead generation for my own business. So I came across one. I was like, hey, this might work for us. So I ended up calling the owner, just uh, left him a voicemail. I said, hey, my name is Adam. My wife and I, we are looking for a triplex to owner occupy in this area. This property kind of fits that description. We're pre-approved VA buyers. Crazy question. Have you thought about selling it? I'd be interested in doing an owner occupied. Just left him that voicemail and was like, all right, well, you know, whatever. They end up calling me back and he's like, hey, actually, you know, we are thinking of selling. Do you want to see it? And I was like, yeah, let's just set up a tour. Let's, it's an easy step to take and let's go check this out. Uh, went and checked it out and it was a beautiful property. It's really nice. And I was like, well, I kind of knew in the back of my head what it was worth. And I was like, well, this fits our bill. Like we should, I'm not going to cheap out on them. And I was like, well, what are you looking for? And he's like, well, last year, because of COVID and everything, we had it appraised and it appraised at 635. And I was like, that's pretty much where I was thinking it would land based on the comps in the area. And I was like, all right, well, you know, it's been a year. I'll give you 640, give you an extra five because it's been a year. That's fair. He's like, sure, let's do it. Put it in a purchase agreement, got it under contract, did the inspection, had the inspection. This is why you always inspect. And we looked at one of the boilers was from 1968. Water heater was old. And then plumbing the sewer line out to the city sewer was cracked on the top. And so I kind of got some expenses on all those and knew it would cost about $12,000 to repair all that. So I just, hey, I'll, there's XYZ here that needs repairs. These are, you know, kind of capital things. Let's, can you do a 12K seller credit? And he immediately said yes. And that's when the red flag kind of went off in my head. I was like, huh, I wonder if I'm too high on the purchase price. And he immediately agreed to the 12K concession. And that's when things started in the back of my mind, I was like, hmm, maybe I need to look at relook at the numbers. And so I looked at the numbers again. And our plan for this property was to owner-occupy the first floor, have a regular renter on the second floor at market rate. It was already rented long-term. And then do Airbnb on the top. And the Airbnb numbers, we were going to do a month-long Airbnb because that gets you the best rates. It's about double the rates in the area. And that would make our cash flow on that property to be roughly around 1200 bucks a month with the Airbnb. What I wasn't looking at and what I forgot to do was check, hey, if Airbnb doesn't work, what's the rate going to be? And that dumbed it down to $400 in cash flow, which I try to look for $250 a month per door in cash flow. And so obviously it's a few hundred dollars short. So knowing that, I was like, okay, I'm still in the deal, like thinking long term, thinking about the inflation. Like, is this still a bad deal? No, it's an okay deal. Like if we do it, we'll be fine, right? But it's not like, this isn't anything fantastic. Airbnb will make it great, but it's not like good. And that's kind of where it went bad. Like literally after I figured that out, my lender calls and he's like, hey, Adam, sorry, man. I've been sweating this phone call. I've been working all day. I'm so sorry, but you guys got to cancel on this. And I was like, well, what's going on? What happened? He's like, well, I mean, the VA is pretty strict. You know, you you just left your W-2 and we're looking at your rental properties and you need to show this income to get you to qualify for this purchase price, it doesn't add up. The underwriter can't make it work. So I'm sorry, we just can't do it. So we had to cancel on it. We ended up getting our earnest money back because of the financing contingency and the seller was fine with it. I have no hard feelings toward the lender. We refer business back and forth. He's an exceptional lender. So I, I had no qualms about it. And at the end of the day, I was like, well, I mean, it was a good property. It wasn't great, but we can probably find another deal just like it in the next few months, like not the end of the world. So that's how that one ended. Adam, if you could kind of summarize like two or three takeaways from this deal for our rookie listeners, what would be the advice that you would give? Underwrite your property and be super conservative. Start there and then be aggressive where you think you're going to make it. So what? how does the property cash flow today under current circumstances? And then how is the property going to cash flow with you operating it under what your rents are and how you're going to operate the property? And I forgot to do that because I was getting rosy colored glasses because it was, you know, it was a great unit for us to live in. It was in the perfect area for us. So I was just kind of getting little buyer going on, which I shouldn't as a realtor. I should know that. Second key points, like you don't have to look on the MLS for deals, like go make stuff happen. If you're looking for, everybody says off market's where it's at. So go where it's at, go for it. Go look for off market opportunities. Those would be my two key takeaways. 
Thank you, Adam. Thank you for sharing that story with us too. It's not often we get to hear about a deal gone wrong. So it happens. And actually, did it even go wrong? I mean, that was a, kind of an opportunity cost to you as to looking into that deal and learning off of it 100. and making that decision not to move forward. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going to take us to our rookie request line. You guys can leave us a voicemail at one 888 5 and we may play your question on the show for our guest to answer. Hey, guys. This is Janetta from Richmond, Virginia. My question is, I am new to real estate investing. I have not purchased a property yet, but I am looking. And I met with someone who is a contractor who offered to be the project manager and said he would charge 10000 up front to secure him and then 10% on the back end of my net profit. So I wanted to ask, do you really need a project manager to manage your contractors or subcontractors? And if so, what is the pricing? Is this pricing extremely expensive or is it better to just do it myself and kind of learn as I go? Thanks. Do you need a project manager? I guess it depends on your expertise. I would say no, you don't on, you know, if it's less than four units, unless you're doing a gut renovation, you probably don't. I hear a lot of red flags there immediately. I think 10K up front. Is that, what is that for? Is that just a fee? Is that to get you going? I would prefer to do, hey, you do X, Y, Z and work. We'll pay you or we'll do weekly payments on the work done and invoicing. And then a 10% fee on the profits. Interesting too. Let's just say what I would prefer to give you just bill it or bid it, bid the job so that your profit's built into what the work that you're doing, not the profit that I'm taking home. If that was the case, flippers and rehabbers would be paying 10% to all their contractors and that would cut into the, the flippers and rehabbers project. I've only heard of putting money down upfront on large scale projects. One example was when I was managing commercial properties, we had a $100,000 HVAC that we were replacing. It was a huge HVAC for large office buildings. So they asked, hey, can you front $50,000 for us purchasing the actual equipment? Because the equipment cost like $70,000. So we agreed to that. It was in writing. We got an invoice from the company doing the work from the manufacturer of the HVAC equipment to show that it was on order and we could track it through. So... Yeah, a lot of red flags there, I think. I would start out maybe managing the project yourself and see how it goes or network and find somebody within your network that's done it before and ask them for help. Or even finding a general contractor who acts as a project manager, but is still doing some of the work too, and then subs out the things he doesn't do. Maybe a better route than just going for somebody that's a project manager. Kind of the same as you, Adam. I've only really heard of project managers for large scale properties for new development or big commercial properties too. So yeah, I would uh, definitely question that and kind of look around and Maybe even partner with somebody who's not going to take any money up front and then you're just going to share some of the profit from it and you both benefit. Definitely get three bids too. That was one of the things we always did was, all right, if any amount of work over X dollars, I'm going to get three bids. So if it's a rewiring the first floor of a unit, I'm going to bring in three electricians and whoever seems like they have the best knowledge of the scope and best pricing is probably going to win. So Adam, I want to take us to our, our newest segment of the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, which we're calling our Rookie Exam. And uh, we want to ask the same questions to all of our guests moving forward. The questions might change, but you'll get the gist of it. So are you ready for the exam? Let's do it. All right. So question number one, what's one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? Start building processes and outlining what you do for managing your properties. Just write them out. All right. Question number two, what is one tool, software, app, or system that you use in your business? I would use apartments.com is where I manage my rental properties through. So all my tenants are on there. The rent is collected through there. It auto deposits into my bank account. It tracks my expenses. It tracks my, it makes an income and expense report at the end of the year. It tracks it monthly. 
and I can put maintenance requests in there and it's free for a landlord up to certain units. All right. And last question, where do you plan on being or where do you see yourself five years from now? In five years from now, our goal is to have, I could see us having 50 units under ownership through partnerships or ourselves, owning a laundromat or like Ashley, maybe a liquor store and then doing uh I think five to seven flips per year as well. And then we kind of manage all that together as our different businesses. Going for those uh, cash cow businesses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Adam, I, I think you passed the exam, brother. Ashley, what do you think? Was that, we give Adam an A on those? Yes, yes, that was awesome. Thank you. Awesome, brother. Well, I want to take us on to our next segment, which is the Rookie Rockstar. And today's Rockstar comes from the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. Again, we're 40 plus thousand members strong there. So if you want to join the most active, the most engaging place for new real estate investors, join the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. But again, today's Rookie Rockstar is Alex W. And Alex says, it finally happened. I closed on my first house hack back in April and I'm over the moon. Last April, I really accelerated educating myself on multiple streams of income and stumbled upon the Real Estate Rookie podcast and the Your First Real Estate Investment podcast. Shout out to my old podcast and then Bigger Pockets in general. And after listening to over 350 plus hours of podcasts, I was finally able to reach my financial independence number quicker than anticipated and provide a, a beautiful home for renters. So Alex, big congratulations for uh, your success there. Congratulations, Alex. That's awesome. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Can you let everyone know where they can find out some more information about you and where they can reach out to you? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, you can connect with me on Instagram at with the kid. You can follow along my YouTube channel. We talk about the Minneapolis St. Paul market and we talk about investing in real estate. And then if anybody is a veteran and they're going through their transition and you just want to hop on the phone and chat, would love to help you out. Adam, thank you very much for sharing all of your knowledge. Thank you for your service in the military and thank you for your service as a property manager. You're very much appreciated. <laughs> thank you. This was fun, guys. I'm Ashley at Wellform Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And before we go, let's check out something at biggerpockets.com that is meant for you guys as rookies. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step -step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.